Rise and shine, you furry scum. It's Sonic the Comic, the podcast. (laughs) I do like it when the comic delivers us a good opening line, you know. Yeah, that's a good alternative to, hey, boomers. But this is your Sega Sational look back at the 1990s and the world of Sonic the Comic. Uh, We're looking at issue number 12 this week. I am Chris McFeely, and with me as always is... Dave Bulmer, and also we've got a third today. We've got a guest. Who on earth are you? I'm Seb Patrick. I'm a writer and podcaster. I write the official Red Dwarf website and write for various magazines and such like. Uh, And I do a podcast called Cinematic Universe, which is all about superhero and comic book movies and that sort of thing. Hooray! And we're all gathered here today to look at issue number 12, the special salute to Halloween issue. Yes, released uh, October 30th, this one. I don't know why they didn't just call it the Halloween issue. I don't know why it had to be a salute to Halloween. Yeah, it's a tribute to the Halloween issue. Yeah. Although, I don't think there's any Halloween content in the actual... Uh, that's probably why they had to call it a salute <laughs> to Halloween, actually. Yeah, because yeah. there isn't, yeah. is there? Mm. Maybe there's a trading standards. Maybe you have to have a certain amount of ghosts... A certain amount of pumpkins... ...in it to make it a Halloween issue. What have we got on the cover? It's starring Sonic the Hedgehog because this is a decap attack cover. Yeah, our second within three issues, in fact. Yeah, that's right. And this time, it's a close-up of Chuck and he's holding skull up but he's got a candle in his head no head is not called skull what am I about he is a skull he's called head and in both of those things he has a candle and there's some bats that's your uh, Halloween theming there it is that's it and it says trick or treat you decide read decap attack if you dare that was I mean that was written in someone's sleep wasn't it yeah <laughs> I dare I, I, sh- I dare as well shall we shall we see what befalls us if we open the comic well before we dive too deeply into it we should ask Seb what we ask all our guests which is uh, how did you come to Sonic the comic and what are your memories of it uh, so I was I, I read it from the start I even remember oh. that little preview issue so I must, oh, I must wow. have got the Thunderbirds comic that it came with because I, I think it came with a couple little... of different things I got it on Thunderbirds but I've heard it came with something a bit more more mainstream than that but i can't tell you what i I would imagine it was for me it was probably thunderbirds because that sounds about right for the period when we were all obsessed with thunderbirds for a while when it was being repeated on i mean there's a non-zero chance that it might have come with red dwarf Uh, i wasn't really into red dwarf then i mean i was into Uh, it but not into it into it i wasn't smegazine into it Uh, right i only only read this magazine stuff and it's many crossovers with people who appear in sonic the comic Mm. years later and i never did (laughs) i've never managed to get hold of it so you'll have to inform us of what those crossovers are if any bump into us today. I understand Nigel worked on it. I mean, it's mainly Nigel Kitching, but there are a few yeah. other names as well. But yeah, Nigel Kitching did probably some of the best stuff in this magazine because, as I'm sure you've probably already discussed, he's great. So, yeah, he's just uh, great. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I was kind of following it on from the start. I think it fell in a period where I had stopped spending my pocket money on Roy of the Rovers every week. Oh no, are you one of those sports people? <laughs> <laughs> oh no. I didn't have a Mega Drive or a, I had my cousin had a Master System and probably people at school I would have played their Mega Drives and SNESs, but uh, but I only had a Game Gear. Uh, but I was very much around this time, very into and obsessed with Sega and Sonic, as as everybody was. So, but I only actually I didn't stick with Sonic the Comic for that long. I don't think. I think I probably only kind of bought it consistently up until around about this time. So about for mm. those kind of first twelve issues or so. Oh, okay. The other main memory I have of it is actually destroying most of my issues because oh. when I was at school, what we decided to do was make our own comics. Oh no! What's um, good? Oh, what's this? No. What is so, this going to so, be? We would cut up issues of Sonic the Comic and repurpose the artwork. 
Um, well, exactly. On the one hand, it's like, well, that's great. That's imaginative. That's, yeah. that's doing comics. Cre- that's a wonderful yeah, as someone creative who's endeavor. Loved comics all my life, but never actually created any. That's probably the only time I've ever created any comics. Unfortunately, what this means is that I destroyed <laughs> a load of all of my old copies of Sonic the Comic, which was <sighs> incredibly foolish. We've already discussed how we wouldn't have even cut the coupons out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where I think Sonic and Sonic the Comic fell for me was the the yearly fads when you were at mm-hmm. primary school. Because I remember 1989 was Ghostbusters, because yep. Ghostbusters 2 came out and the cartoon was yep. around. 1990 was Turtles. Oh, yes. I think 91, for, as I say, from from mentioning that Thunderbirds comic, I think 91 was probably Thunderbirds. Mm. That sounds like, if that was the year when those repeats were on, maybe 91, 92. And then yep. 92 into 93 was absolutely Sega and Sonic and also Nintendo and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then I, I left primary school in 94, so the age of annual fads kind of stopped. You sort of, yeah. when you went to Basically. secondary school, you were kind of into certain things and you either stuck yeah. with them or didn't. And I've always liked Sonic and, and Sega and I like playing retro games now and stuff and I, I vaguely keep an eye on what's going on with Sonic as a franchise. But otherwise with, with STC, you know, and I've, and I've gone back and enjoyed reading it in the years since when it's occurred to me to remember it, but I don't really know a lot about where it went after about the first year or so. Well, stay tuned. I will. You'll find out. <laughs> yeah, this will be a learning experience. Because let me tell you, it's good. It yeah. went some good places. <laughs> Your online guide to the sensational world of Sega and Sonic the Comic, hosted by Megadroid and Chris and myself and Seb today. Three separate sections of the control zone all saying exactly the same thing. <laughs> yep. Megadroid says there's new series coming and there's free gifts coming. Then the other two sections on the page are one is about the new series that's coming and one's about the free gifts that are coming. All right. Well, what series and gifts are coming? Well, because this issue is the final chapters of Streets of Rage and Kid Chameleon, we've got mm. two new serials starting next issue. Golden Axe is coming back. Yay. <laughs> just, just an audible groan. Yeah. I'm going to give it a bigger... I'm going to give it a hooray, because I'm all nostalgic about it now, but from this, no. from this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. at the time well, I didn't Yeah, care. you know, as listeners will have heard by this point, we definitely <laughs> came around on Golden Axe by the end of the original serial. I think it found its way a little more. I'm curious to see, because I don't really remember the second serial very well, because I no. remember not being particularly interested in it in the time, but we'll see how it holds up when we get I, to I only it. had one thing that interested me about Golden Axe, which was, as I mentioned before, I was a fan of Roy the Rovers, and the artist Mike White was the main Roy the Rovers artist for years and years and years and was the artist when I was reading it so as a kid it was a rare example of oh wow I recognise this artist on two different comics that I'm reading oh that's great Chain of Story was bobbins but (laughs) but we love the art in it oh yeah yeah so like what you've done there is you've made me vaguely interested in reading a football comic (laughs) a ridiculous proposition (laughs) there are better ones than the main Roy the Rovers itself to be honest He's right, boomers. Plug, plug, plug. There's Rock of the Reds. Plug, with colours by my wife, Abby Bulmer. Okay, plug. Uh, bye. Plug, plug. Okay, bye. Plug, plug, plug. There are better ones than the main Roy the Rovers itself, to be honest. But They don't <laughs> still oh, publish that, right? Uh, it's back, actually. No, it's, really? It's, it's yeah. now owned by Rebellion, 2000 AD owners, and they've been publishing new stuff since last year yeah. by Rob Williams. In this age of the internet and compact discs and streaming <laughs> media, <laughs> Roy the Rovers. Compact discs. <laughs> the uh, the second strip that's coming up next issue is Echo the Dolphin, yeah. brand new one. Looking forward to that. Really looking forward to that. Do not remember being impressed at the time, but <laughs> oh, now I remember enjoying it at the time. Good. Looking forward to seeing that one. And our free gifts. Um, next issue, we get a belt clip. Yeah, I think you find it's a seriously fashionable STC belt clip. Exclusive and ready to wear. I remember it well. Yeah. Oh yeah. 
It's rattling around in my Sonic stuff box back home. Yeah. Uh, oh, well, mine's uh, long gone. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then they keep the one for after that secret. So we'll talk about that when oh. we get to the issue. But, oh. uh, Although they hinted it. I think they built it up a little bit more than it deserves. Yes. Mm. They say, let's yeah. just say that Christmas will never be the same again. I mean, technically... Every Christmas since this came out, I've been aware of what it was, and it exists in my yeah. brain somewhere. But it never—I never think about it; it never comes up. That's still in your box of stuff. Oh yeah. Oh really? Still attached to the comic, I think. Well, all right then. <laughs> I don't have a punchline for that one. Sorry, that one took me off guard. <laughs> the Mortal Kombat streaking in oh, at number there. one on Mega Drive, Master System, and Game Gear. Boom, boom, Whoa. boom, all three. Oh, I didn't notice that. Good, yeah. good eye, Chris. And then Jurassic Park in at number three on the Mega Drive, and Batman Returns on the Mega CD at number one. These are some quite exciting times, I'm sure you'll agree. Yes. 1993 was where it was at. It, honestly, it was where it was at, and STC is the place to be in 93. 93... Oh, Man, I, this is when Jurassic Park came out. What a mm-hmm. year. This is when Super Mario Brothers came out. Never mind Jurassic Park. What a year. <laughs> well, the march towards Christmas now as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Mortal Kombat must have been the game for Christmas that yes. year. Yes. I remember just taking against Mortal Kombat because it wasn't Street Fighter. And I was, <laughs> yeah, we all loved Street Fighter, so anything that tried to be Street Fighter but wasn't, yeah. we didn't like at school. See, vice versa for me. Mm. Oh. In those days of console wars and Sega versus <laughs> Nintendo and everything, Mortal yeah. Kombat and Street Fighter did wind up positioned as, as two opponents, as it were. Mm. And I was on the Mortal Kombat side of things, but that's just because it was... I guess it wasn't a Sega game, but, you know, it was the big one for the Mega Drive. And then you got Eternal Champions, which was nobody's (laughs) favourite. I enjoyed the comic strip, and I thought I enjoyed the game as a consequence. (laughs) And I have no memory of either, so evidently I didn't particularly... (laughs) Didn't stay with you then. Every character in Eternal Champions is someone's fetish. <laughs> okay, well, we'll. I'll look forward to that then. <laughs> yeah, well, we can run through the list and identify which is ours. Sonic. <laughs> Sonic. <laughs> Sonic. Hidden Danger, written by Mark Miller, art by Carl Flint, letters by Ellie Deville. Sent plummeting off of Doctor Robotnik's new Sky Fortress, Sonic crash lands in the middle of the hidden zone and winds up with amnesia. This zone has long been hidden from Robotnik by a cloaking device, but by tracking Sonic's descent, Robotnik discovers its location and sends his Badnik army to attack. With no memory of the super cool superhero he once was, Sonic is helpless to defend the Hidden Zone's residents until one of the Badniks says his name and everything clicks back into place. His memory restored, Sonic easily polishes off the Badniks, but with the Hidden Zone's location now compromised, Sonic takes the population to the Emerald Hill Zone so they can join the fight to free Mobius from Robotnik's evil reign. What a load of old tosh this one is, eh? <laughs> it's not the best, is it? No, it's, uh... no, no. I mean, you know, we were quite complimentary of Mark yes. Miller's previous effort, last issue. Yeah. This is some proper tosh. This is a real children's cartoon slash comic stock plot with Sonic pasted into it. Okay, so, so here's what I did like. I quite liked the hidden zone. I love the concept of the hidden yeah. zone. Yeah, and I love the design of it as well, exactly. where everything is all keys. I Everything's like that. Everything's keys. There's key, you, they're looking up in the very first panel. They're looking up into space, essentially, the night sky, and it's almost holographic-looking fluorescent keys everywhere. There, there is no hidden zone in any game, so Mark has made this up himself. Yeah, sure. Path. 
And uh, yeah, as a concept, it's really interesting. The idea of a place that's completely locked away from prying eyes. I took it to mean like almost off to one dimension aside, if you see what I mean. The visual of the bridge between it and the Emerald Hill Zone at the end, there's something otherworldly about that. Yeah. Yes, the, the actual colour of the sky changes halfway there. It just yeah. sort of fades in. Yeah, there's like a little pocket dimension or something like that. But it's a shame then that even with the interesting design and everything, that the art itself then is also such bobbins. <laughs> It's definitely not one of the uh, the stronger Sonic artists, is it? No. This is Carl Flint. That name's very familiar to me. I think we get a lot of We Carl get Flint. so much Carl Flint on covers. He basically oh. becomes the comics, not universal, not every single issue. Prior to issue 100, things change with issue 100, but prior to issue 100, I'm sure he must have done the lion's share of Sonic-related covers. He is an artist who's done a lot of work for uh, magazines and, uh, and newspapers, NME, Select, The Guardian. Yes, he has the look of someone who would work with, like, designy stuff. I don't know, mm. I think I just think that because of the extremely granular airbrush that he's using here. It makes me think of, I don't know, sort of drawings of a holiday island for a brochure or something like that. Yeah, and he, he mostly works as a storyboarder these days for um, oh, really? TV commercials and, and idents. Oh, cool. That's a cool job to have. The overall feel of the issue is ever so slightly wonkily off-model. Like, he had the basic idea of it. It's mm. like the badniks are all off-colour. By the way, uh, Robotics iWatch, uh, Carl Flint here is mm. doing the black eyes, but with little white pupils in that are very definitely not shine, they are pupils. Yeah. Just because there are so many different ways of approaching how to draw this <laughs> weird-looking character. Robotnik was always a very strange design anyway. Yes, yeah, so I see what I mean. The badniks are almost all just silver, aren't they? Yeah, with a few bits of colour here and there. And, like, you know, we get this bit where a motobug comes shooting down out of the sky and swings it its arm and a bunch of missiles it's like it's thrown a handful of missiles or something and it's like that's not what moto bugs do and sonic's response to that is what's happening steve (laughs) (laughs) okay is the leader of the hidden zone is steve Steve. owl is that a (laughs) reference to something is that some kind of pun because it's so rubbish if it's not (laughs) steve owl (laughs) steve owl (laughs) <laughs> like it's it sounds like it wants yeah. to be a reference to something. Steve Holt, yeah. but it's it's about a decade too early for Steve Holt. Yeah, it's yeah. too early to be Steve-O, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I feel like it's got to be something because Mark Miller hasn't hit us with such an inept name like that before. <laughs> no, because because none of the other creatures that he would have to draw from your Johnny Lightfoots, your Porker Lewis's, yeah. none of them are just Bob Rabbit or Jeff. Crocodile or anything like that. It's, <laughs> I don't know. Pulling tell you names what, though, out of got two wonderful new additions to the Sonic roster. There. This is a terribly, you know, even <laughs> even setting aside the rubbish stock plot nature of the story and the wonky art, this is a pretty slipshod issue when it comes to its assembly. We got a couple of speech bubbles there that aren't properly aligned with the edge oh, of the yeah, panel. Oh yeah, now that's I, I, yes, I'm convinced that the first and third pages, all the speech balloons are misaligned because. Yeah. In the first one, panel two isn't that beautiful. It's obviously mm. one of those... It's got a flat top, so it's, it's supposed to, to sit flush the with top the, of the edge panel. of the panel, yeah. But then if you extrapolate down from there, what, what else would happen if the entire acetate was moved up one? Because it was done with physical acetate in those days. Well, if that goes up to the top of the panel, suddenly 
the hippo who's also talking, his little tail of his balloon is kind of pointing towards him a bit more. Yeah. And then the little inset panel under the logo, the speech balloon there kind of would cross over less into the lower panel. So, I, yeah, I think there's an argument there that the whole acetate was skew with. And then yeah, the third me. page, again, the two big speech balloons, Robotnik and his robot have in the top right, should be shifted down, down a bit. A bit and that yeah. wouldn't harm anything else on the page if everything moved like that. Mm. It's not just a physical thing either, because like we get a couple of my badnik apostrophe s. You know, yes. there's yeah. not there's not a lot of attention has been given here. Badnik apostrophe s are dropping from the skies, yeah. Steve. Steve. <laughs> oh yeah, there's two because yeah, because yeah, the, the, twice. There's, there's the one that my badniks are ready for conquest was the one. Yeah, uh, yeah. it's not. See, that's the thing. It's not a careless <laughs> click. Mark Miller believed that was how you pluralized something. <laughs> and let me tell you, boys, I don't know about you, but. My bad, Nick's are ready for conquest. <laughs> <laughs> At least as far as Miller goes, um, I'm a bit disappointed that there is there is neither a what are you talking about or an actually in this, which are the Mark are Miller... They his... Yeah, there's particularly the what are you talking about. Like you, can, you can go through a lot of Mark Miller comics, particularly <laughs> the Ultimates, yeah. and you will find... There was somebody set up a Tumblr dedicated to this, although it's gone down <laughs> oh. now, but you can oh, still God. find examples of it. Characters will say, what are you talking about? Usually with the emphasis on talking so yeah. often and and the other thing that he does is someone will say something that is wrong so yeah. that another character can say actually and deliver <laughs> a load of exposition but the best thing about what are you talking about is there is one in his first ever Sonic the Comic story oh. there is a what are you talking oh, okay. about in Sonic I didn't the Comic know this. issue one this is oh. I am blocked by Mark Miller on Twitter and I have no <laughs> idea why because I've oh. never directly interacted with him so it's either for political reasons or yeah. it's because I once said on Twitter that I had spotted a what are you talking about in his first <laughs> yeah. Sonic the Comic story and I'm choosing to believe it's because of that um, but yeah no, none of his trademark ticks in this one unfortunately oh. except for a pop culture reference where he's slagging something off in pop culture we got Eldorado in issue one yes. and we get take that here yeah, oh, yeah we right. did miss oh, that one bring that up. Yeah. where is it uh, Dr. Robotnik is cackling with glee that Sonic has escaped and that Badnik looks like a caterpillar says but aren't you angry Dr. Robotnik uh, uh, oh great one Aren't you going to make us listen to Take That again as punishment? Yay! Do Americans know about Take That? I don't know, Dave. Tell them. They're quite famous. All right, well, any Americans listening... Well, you're probably not, because you've probably tried to engage us on Twitter to talk about Archie, and we've probably made you... (laughs) But, um... (laughs) Take That, it was... I mean, it was essentially just a boy band who were, Mm. you know, not really particularly of a skill set much above other boy bands, but they just were the big smash hit Mm -hmm. pop sensation of the time. I actually looked this up in terms of... I was like, where were they up to career-wise when this issue came out? And in October 93, they had just put out their biggest album and they had just started their runoff they had something like 14 number one singles in a row wow. and they were on like the the second or so of those around the time that this issue came out and like literally wow. about two weeks before this they'd had the album uh is it like is everything changes or something like that no, i've yeah. closed the wikipedia tab where i looked it up i don't just know this off the top of my head sure <laughs> i'm not a fan of tax dodging pop bands oh. um, <laughs> but this was like peak take that popularity that this was being referenced well you uh, couldn't accuse mark miller of of ever not extremely dating his comics with very yeah. precise <laughs> pop culture references of a very specific point in time that made it feel dated a month later. I mean, at least take that have come back since and True. are still going now. They so, have. At least, you know, El Dorado never made a comeback. So, <laughs> no, not yeah. quite. People only know El Dorado from clip shows about 90s TV. But yeah. it, it lives on in infamy. Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> I, and I'm going to defend that practice because with this comic, this is the right comic to do a of the moment <laughs> pop culture reference in because it's never been reprinted. You know, it's not like it's True. going into the trades later or anything. It's... And also, Sonic the Hedgehog is very of its yeah, moment. That's pop true. Culture. Yeah, that did. Yeah. yeah, that's very true. Actually, yeah. just by dint of mentioning Sonic the Hedgehog at all, he's really <laughs> dated this comic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, you got me on that one. Yeah. <laughs> The whole amnesia thing is just such a nothing. Mm. It doesn't even matter. Yeah, he matter. just he gets amnesia, and then all it takes is for someone to say his name, and yeah. he's back in the game. It doesn't factor into the story in any way. I mean, it's only seven no. pages. What are you going to do? The badnik says his name, so he gets his memory back. Boom, simple as that. And then the conceit is that uh, because the hidden zone is locked away, sealed off from the rest of the planet, they don't know who Sonic is because they have been shut away from the outside world, so they they don't know who he is, so they can't help him identify himself either. But it doesn't yes. amount to anything. It just it creates a single panel of tension and then it's done. The whole strip feels like a delay, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're just stalling for time. La 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 stalling for time. La 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 stalling for time. Can we get kitchen back anytime now, please? Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> because yeah, it's amnesia that just leads to him finding out who he is and that's it. Yeah. I'll tell you what though, I'll defend one thing. I really liked the Martin Adamsy feelings I got from the second to last panel of page two, uh, in which Sonic says that, so Steve the Owl has just explained uh, this uh, place uh, is protected uh, 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 by a Steve Owl. Oh, I'm sorry, you're quite right. Steve Owl. It's just said, this place is protected by a cloaking device. We want to know how you managed to find us. And Sonic replies, and this is the panel I'm referring to, you're asking the wrong hedgehog. Bird brain, my bump on my head is worse than it looks. Just something about the fact that he's completely at the mercy of the residents of this place. He doesn't know how to get out of or how he got into or or who he is. And the first thing he does is insult someone. Yeah, right. That's, that's old school Sonic, and I like it. <laughs> Definitely. Refusal! Review Zone! And uh, we've got some more game reviews from David Gibbon and Vincent Lowe, a respected finisher of Sonic Chaos. Uh, (laughs) Yes. Uh, Vincent Lowe uh, was in the previous issue as well, so... A newcomer. No sign of Tony Takushi still. Is that it? He must be off on one of his jaunts. We must keep an eye out to see if he comes back, because... I don't remember, yeah. I don't, you know, his name isn't really in my memory as somebody associated with the comic, so... Uh, uh, David Gibbons and Vincent Lowe? Not Vincent Lowe, but David Gibbon, I remember. Sorry, Gibbon, I said I Gibbons know. again. I know, it I happens can't. once per episode. <laughs> I've done it so many times, I've said it more times wrong than I've yeah. said it right. No, I remember his name well enough, because he did the Q-Zone and everything. Sure, so. yeah. I'm just surprised anybody read the credits for the Q-Zone. <laughs> well, he was in other places too. Anyway, what's in the reviews? And we got uh, Cosmic, Cosmic Spacehead. Spacehead. We That's got, that game I liked. Yeah, it's that one that they've, we've heard a bit about, and here it is yeah. now, and we've heard so much about it, and given that this isn't actually a review, and it's just another description of the content of the game that's been described yeah. to us in at least two previous issues yeah. already, it got 90%. <laughs> I've gone to the extent of putting the music in a previous episode and everything, so let's not even bother <laughs> touching upon it here. But it's great, I like it. It does that thing where they call it Arcade. We talked about that before. Oh no, do they? Yeah, it's called <laughs> Game Type, Arcade Adventure. Meaningless word. Seb, you won't have heard the episode where we talk about this because they throw this word around like it means something. What does an arcade-style game mean to you? Yeah, I think, do they just mean it's sort of... 
I mean, I would have said, do they mean it's action-y? But, like, this is obviously... I know nothing about this game, but it's obviously yeah. a point-and-click adventure. Yeah, with... Uh, but then right. it says it's connected by one of 32 arcade sequences. Yeah, so in this case, they are referring to the platformer sections between point-and-click adventure screens. So, mm. yeah, here, they do seem to mean action-y platformer. Yeah, because nowadays, that type... A, a game that had... That was an adventure game that had action-y bits would be called an action-adventure. Mm. But they obviously don't have that terminology here, although they, they call other games action. I was about I to know, say, but, yeah, just over yeah. here Sonic Chaos, an action game. <laughs> or, or do they just mean, like, by arcade do they just mean, like, that it's quite good graphically? Because, again, that's what would have oh. distinguished arcade from consoles, wouldn't it? Would be, like, having quite good, colourful animated graphics, Maybe. large sprites kind of thing. Well, that's exactly the thing. All of the things that I would use to differentiate arcade games from non-arcade games, it's all to do with being in an arcade. Yeah. It is, yes, better processors than you could afford at home and it's in a place you have to go i'm really not sure what they meant by arcade and we've established that different writers mean different things when they say it yes so sonic chaos Sonic chaos do you ever play sonic chaos no now see i never have either because i never had a master system or a game gear and i never got any of the compilations that they made later that it was on i've played triple trouble but i never played chaos i did get the compilations but then once i'd unlocked them and played them for like 20 seconds i never wanted to see them ever again <laughs> i know right you can't when you're reared on 16 bit it bit sonic yeah. Is a step down and a half. I ah, see. I was very much reared on eight bit uh, because ah. I because I had a Game Gear and as I say because my cousin had a Master System. Yeah. Sonic and Sonic Two eight bit. Like Sonic Two eight bit is my favourite Sonic game. Mm. Um, okay I've then. Played that a lot. Okie dokie then. <laughs> <laughs> It is. I'm sorry. I, I prefer it to <laughs> Sonic 2 Mega Drive. Oh, all um, right then. <laughs> I'm not necessarily saying it's better. I'm saying I prefer Listen, it. listen. There is no need to defend <laughs> no. your nostalgia on this no, podcast. No, no. Yeah. Not on this <laughs> one. No, but I, I didn't play Chaos at the time. I, I didn't have that one. Uh, I didn't get it because I think, as I say, you know, I, was, I was probably already mo even moving away from getting new games for the Game Gear at that point. I was interested mm. in it when it came out. I remember, was there a poster magazine that had like a complete walkthrough yes, of it or there something? Was. I remember reading. Poster mag number um, two. But I've only played it retrospectively as an emulated retro game. And my main view of it was, yeah, that it doesn't remotely hold up to the previous two. Mm. Which it's probably objectively better than. But I just because I don't have that childhood nostalgia for it, I just couldn't get into it. I love this description they've given of it. So what's new, I hear you ask? Well, Dr. Robotnik is at it again, but this time he's managed to hide the six Chaos Emeralds. To find them, Sonic has to speed through six zones, each with three substages and a boss at the end of each one. Wow. Hmm. Yep, that's new. They really knew how much column they had to fill up, didn't they? Yeah. The framing... Vincent... The framing of this review is there are two ways to play Sonic Chaos. You can choose to be Sonic or Tails. If you're Tails, you can't collect the Chaos Emeralds and you can't see the game ending. That's great. Yeah, just start out with how crap it is. That's wonderful. Don't ever play as Tails. That's very odd, isn't it? I know. It's, you can't see the game Obviously, what, I mean, he, I guess... what he means is you don't see the... Like, like in Sonic 2, when you played as Tails, you didn't see the little grayscale cutscene of Tails looking up at the exploding death egg, you know? Do you know, you say that now, and I realise I may never have done it. <sighs> have I ever played Sonic 2 all the way through with just Tails? Maybe Tragic. not. Well, I never. They actually should be making more here of the fact that this is the first time you could play as Tails. Yeah, ever. Because on Sonic no, not, 2... No, no, ever. It's ever, isn't it? I think you could only... Oh, wait. I'm getting confused. <laughs> I think it's the first time you could fly as Tails. Yes. Oh, right. And then... Otifan. Yeah. It's a European-only game, which makes sense when we find out what it actually is. American Japan never had it. It's... 
So there's a comedian in Germany called Otto, and then I can't pronounce it. It's W-A-A-L-K-E-S. I don't speak any German. So he's a really popular German comedian. He's got four decades worth of stuff under his belt. Maybe another one by now. Multiple TV shows, nine cinematic movies, and something called The Otterfant, which is, and if I may, because I can't think of any closer comparison, it's his role for Roo. Uh, yeah, <laughs> basically, yeah. Seems to be that they, he drew them on the cover of one of his albums, and they sort of took on a life of their own, like they've had a cartoon series and stuff yeah. like that. A very brief yeah. cartoon series. Yeah. It seems like this game may have spun out of that. So, like, the cartoon series didn't really make its mark enough for it to warrant Get having dubbed. a game, but yeah. it got one, just anyway. That seems to be the pop culture penetration that these critters had in Germany, even if the cartoon didn't get past one series. But. Yeah, depending on how many Ottofants there are, maybe there's just one or maybe there's multiple. That I feel like they're somewhere between a Rolferu and sort of the Diddy Men. It's that sort of thing. Um, when I looked this game up on YouTube, I've got to say... It actually made me very happy in the pit of my gut. Oh. Because it's an absolutely bog-standard 1993 platform <laughs> of the sort that I was deliriously happy to find, like, demos of on Amiga cover discs of the time. It looks like Wibble World, Giddy. It plays like something like Robocard, and I'm positive it was rubbish, but that I would have liked it anyway. Well, they've given it 70%, so that's how you know it was rubbish. There you are. Um, I don't... It, not on Mega Drive, though. This is an Amiga cover demo thing. Releasing a basic bit of crap like this on a 30-quid cartridge, you know, it's it feels like sitting down at a restaurant with sparkling china plates and silverware just to eat an opal fruit. <laughs> As they were called at the time. <laughs> Opal fruits were delicious, but you were if you were too good to get a bit of the paper in your gob, then you weren't eating them properly, and the same goes for this game. It's not good enough for a cartridge. But I then found out that actually it's an almost clone, although mm -hmm. it may have just been like a rip-off rather than something deliberate clone, of Global Gladiators. Mecha Mac, a game that I did quite like. Yeah, there you go. What else we got? We got Bob, which we heard about in pre in the new yes. zone and issues beforehand. B -B. Which Although, is... have you noticed the difference yes, between the, this report and the last one? The planet is now uh, Groth <laughs> rather than yes. Goth. Yes, it I was noticed that. definitely Goth in the preview version. It was. Wasn't it? Um, doesn't seem to have come out too well in the end as well. Mr. Gibbon is not too complimentary. I suggest you oh. play Jungle Strike <laughs> and then play this. It's hard to believe they're from the same company. Don't get me wrong, the game's a nice platformer, but it lacks many important factors to make it a winner, such as fun. I <laughs> love it. Love it. They're not just shilling for Sega, that's the thing with SDC. And wouldn't you know it, boomers, there is a clip of unwitting friend of the show, Chris Evans, on The Big Breakfast with Ben the Boffin talking about this exact game, so here we go. Tell us about it, mate. Bob is a robot who's been stranded on a boring date, and so he's somehow managed to get into all sorts of different worlds with a laser gun, and he's got... And it's sort of a mixture between a shoot 'em up and a platform game. Um, this is a good, good fun game, but you've got to be sort of careful with bits like that so that you don't injure yourself. Um, okay, you was can, he injured then? Is he injured? Yeah, he was injured very oh, briefly. Oh, he's all right now, though. Yeah, he's oh, all right. Good, yes. And uh, do you have a bonus factor for this, Ben? Bonus factor, I'd give this a three or a four, I think. A three or a four? About three and a half. Is that good? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it also true though? You must always keep an eye on the clock and your energy level in that game, which can be replenished by entering. <laughs> Recharger station? Yeah, that's about right. I thought wow. Okay, so that's the cute games. Another oh, insight with oh, Ben the Boffin, yeah. the only Boffin to take any notes of as far as computer games are concerned, because this is the greatest show on earth. It's the yes. big breakfast. 
but look at the contract. No, no. Okay, but here's the thing, right? So this gets seventy three, and yeah. Gibbon says it's not fun. It's repetitive. Hop over two <laughs> inches to the right. Asterisks. Asterisks. No. Uh, no. Asterisks for the Mega Drive, which uh, Vincent Lowe is very complimentary of. Clearly a fan of asterisks himself. I keep saying asterisks. What the hell's wrong with me? This is terrible. <laughs> Maybe he's just a fan of asterisks. I mean, we yeah, are. Well, in Sonic the Comic loved an asterisk. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he's just a fan of asterisks. I don't know. But he ends the thing by saying has some of the best graphics you'll ever see on the Mega Drive, plus tunes that will have you humming away long after you stop playing. A very polished game for the season platformer. 70%. Yeah. And this just... That was video game reviews in the 90s, wasn't it? Nothing meant nothing. Numbers didn't mean nothing. Well, it's all completely arbitrary, the whole number system. We've exposed the problem with it instantly. I love how long this concept of playability persisted (laughs) in games reviews in the 90s. This meaningless, nebulous (laughs) concept that basically just seemed to mean anything that isn't the graphics and sound. It's like the video game equivalent of (laughs) mouthfeel. Well... (laughs) <laughs> and I was going to say, it's comparable to what people now say game feel sometimes, don't Do people they? say that now? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, I don't know about now. A couple of years ago, they did. Uh, yeah. There's something nerds. to be said for this concept of, like, what it feels like to play a game. So maybe playability is a good term for it, but you don't so much hear it anymore. I'm very much quibbling the idea that if, if, if you're judging your game on three criteria, which are graphics, sound, and playability, and you're giving two of those categories 85 and then one of them 70, then that averages out to 80. So how do you give it a final score? We flagged this up in a previous episode. Yeah, (laughs) The the mathematics. (laughs) Um, Either of you play any of these games? Not a bloody one. I would have played an Asterix game had I had a Mega Drive and the money to buy games I like. I'm I'm assuming we all read Asterix. Yeah. Because we were children in Britain in the 90s. It was the dumb thing. And this looks... (laughs) I I looked this one up on YouTube. It looks pretty good. Well, it looks pretty limited as a game i wouldn't give it that high of a playability score based on what i saw but to look at it looks like there's a lot in it and yes genuinely if you play as asterix and oblix things become different it seems to imply here that the level layouts change but this screenshot of asterix is he's in a very similar environment to the one that i saw them play with obelix so i don't know to what exact extent that that is. hey i should maybe play it and find out this is the one time i've ever seen the wham pow it's comics trope used appropriately <laughs> yeah because it's got the the asterix specific uh, sound effect yeah Paff. the review starts with Paff. asterix the goal star of blah 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 blah. so i quite like that yeah i'll allow that <laughs> Kid chameleon Kid Chameleon Part 6, written by Michael Cook, art by the usual team of Brian Williamson with colours by Steve White and letters by Tom Freem. Having taken enough damage from Wildside's final boss, a cyborg gorilla, Casey has lost his chameleon powers and is forced to fight the beast as himself. With only his wits and his trusty skateboard, Casey is able to knock the gorilla off the building and escapes back into the real world. He returns home to calm his panicked mother and discovers that while he and Susie have returned safely, Brad never made it out of Wildside, meaning Casey's going to have to go back in and save him. 
Seb, do you ever play Kid Chameleon? I never did. I mean, if it had... I, I probably had a picture of it as being like the comic strip. Right. And I probably would have thought, wow, it's probably a pretty good game. I think I have tried playing it actually on an emulator very briefly and discovered that it is absolutely nothing like yeah. the comic strip. Yeah. I do get the sense reading this that the writers would love it to be a movie. Yeah. And yeah. it almost does yeah, feel definitely. like a pitch for a movie. Yeah. The way the plot works, the way it sets up, even the look and feel of it, and even down to the fact that it's got this bizarre mid-Atlantic yeah. feel to it. Like yes. it's set in Britain. Written. Yeah, but the dialogue and the look of him and everything is like every so often it slips into being American, and it almost feels to me. I know this isn't the case because I know it is a British produced comic, but it feels like I've read versions of American Marvel comics that were published in British yeah. annuals and comics in the sixties, where they changed references oh. like geographical references and stuff, or, or dialect and slang. They updated it so they they actually literally pasted over and rewrote the speech oh, bubbles cool. to. Make them more palatable to British audiences. Oh, I love that. The first ever time I read an X Men story was in a, an old 1960s Fantastic annual, and like West Brooklyn gets changed to West Bromwich and <laughs> things like oh, that. That's and they change books to Quid yeah. and, and even stuff like that. It's I really, want to read really bizarre. That. And this feels a little bit like I would. That. I feel like I would connect with that better. <laughs> I was thinking more like when they changed GI Joe into Action Force. Yeah. Like all the GI Joes came from America. But when they made it Action Force, they changed all their nationalities so that they were like an international team. Yeah. And there was a character in G.I. Joe right. called Wild Bill, who was a full-blown <laughs> cowboy, big red handlebar mustache, shades, cowboy hat, 10-gallon hat and everything. He was from, he was obviously from Texas in G.I. Joe. Where was he from in Action Force? <laughs> Hull. <laughs> <laughs> yes! Oh, that's great! <laughs> That's fun. No, yeah. So I know what you mean. Yeah, this it, at least until suddenly halfway through this, it just becomes like a very grown-up ITV drama type. I love thing, this bit. It? You know, this is how it starts, and this is where it returns to the end yeah. again as well. You know, that's something that really makes it feel like a Flight of the Navigator type eighties mm. kids yeah. movie, where there's all that terrible real family stuff at the start and the end, and then we go spaceships and adventures and do not know privacy in the middle of it. Yeah, there's this real sense of it being completely grounded like it's raining that his house looks like a normal semi-detached there's yeah. a, a normal looking police car there with some normal looking police in the house and his mum's British police looking. uniforms obviously yeah. and he, he, he says even in the narration as we go through the scene that now that he's outside and feeling real rain on his skin and real wind mm. that suddenly Wildside doesn't really feel like it was all that real you know it was scary and exciting mm. while he was inside it but now that he's outside of it he realises it, it was just a video game you know I wasn't really trapped it was it was it was just a game there was i wasn't really in danger and he even decides that oh the susie in it was an illusion they, yeah. the game just had that to make me want to try and help her and, and then it turns out when he gets home his mom's called the polison because um he's been gone all day but it, he comes back it's like and then she's horrified to discover he was off playing mindless video games and to think that he <laughs> roped poor susie in as well because susie lives next door so remember so susie's here with her parents as well and it turns out you know casey's wrong she really was in there with him and now this line, right? I was okay. I've been perplexed by this line since <laughs> I was 11 years old. Which one? Susie says, "I've only just got here. I was playing Wildside. It was strange. I thought I was trapped." And Casey says, "Like a golden yeah. bird in a neon cage." And yeah, she says, what? "How did you know?" And I'm like, "Pardon?" 
And it, yeah. doesn't it feel? And I don't like. I don't know if this was just a genuine attempt by the writer to be like florid, maybe. But it feels like that was maybe something that they were supposed to say to one another while they were in the game. Mm. Yeah. Oh yeah. And now that they're out of it, she knows from hearing him say that, and that's how they confirmed to each other that it was all real. Well, she yeah. never knew that Casey was the chameleon guy who was helping her while she was in the game. Right. And this is like, and this feels like it's the moment where he says something oh. that they had shipped but they never did but they didn't that's not in it no that was never a line in the serial <laughs> god you're right i took it you uh, you're right that's better i just took it to be maybe like a reference to a song or something so it I, does sound like it could be that too though right well i googled it and i couldn't find no, anything same. I checked as well. <laughs> I just thought it was meant to be like that was the scenario in which she was initially trapped. Like she was trapped yeah. in some kind of. But I've just gone back and looked it up and she's being held by like this monster yeah, thing. Monster. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's got nothing to do with birds or cages at all. Yeah. It's <laughs> such a specific phrase, like yeah. a golden bird in a neon cage. Like, it feels like, <laughs> even if they didn't say it to one another, it feels like it's a phrase that we should have heard already, that, that it's, that's that been used to specifically describe the feeling of being inside Wildside. Or it was just, or even if it was just a password they had to use in the game or something. Or yeah. even if there'd been a literal golden bird in a neon cage, because yeah. it wouldn't have been out of place within the weird environments that we saw. Yeah. But no, no, I mean, I still really like the line. There's something about the imagery that it conjures up in your mind that's very fitting with with what we've talked about with kid chameleon with this very stark neon palette that the comic's been drawn with uh, yes and the fact that in the panel where he's saying it he's mm. colored with a white front half of the face very harsh light coming in through the window and or then, something. yeah and then like a black shade and then pink on the back it's so it's so neon yeah it's a tremendously evocative sentence and it pairs well <laughs> with the art it didn't make any <laughs> sense yeah <laughs> Uh, so then after that, yeah, she he, everybody leaves. The officers are, we're just glad he's safe, you know. She tells him off, and then she mentions that Brad's mother must still be frantic in case he realizes that if Susie was in there too, and it all really was real, and Brad is still somehow trapped inside this thing that is not a normal game, and he's going to have to go back. It's such the cliffhanger that would have been at the end of the movie adaptation for the sequel yeah. that would never have gotten made. Except they did I, make the sequel in this case. Did they? Because I, yeah, they I, I did, definitely yes. didn't read as far as whenever they brought it back, so I have no idea what happens in the second yeah, series. Yeah, it would be a long time. Like, Golden Axe only had six issues between series. It would be nearly 40 issues before Kid Chameleon came what? back. What? Yeah! <laughs> Wow. So that's a strange definition of soon, as it says at the bottom. The final panel is like a non-diegetic panel of him looking out of the page while all of the heads of the different versions of him are around him. And and he's got that white to shadow to pink colour, yeah. like he had when he said Golden Bird and a Neon Cage. And like he also does on the first page of this one, where he's shouting chameleon, 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 it isn't working. So I wonder if that lighting is supposed to mean something. And I, I should look back through the other issues and like that means the game or something uh well i mean i think that's the idea it's like it's yeah. the equivalent of yeah the noir mood lighting creeping across yeah. the cop's face as he tells the dm that her husband's dead you know <laughs> but in this case almost like if you know in the matrix someone was discussing something and then green light yeah. just went on them as an indicator of the fact that we're talking about matrixy stuff yeah that's the end of good chameleon and it is great i friggin love kid chameleon 
it's a very well crafted thing it's got a very mm. clear identity and it, it approaches it with a very televisual or cinematic mindset or how would you take the story of this and adapt it into a fixed mm. beginning middle and end I mean this could very easily have been a TV special or a mm. film or something the, the, the approach they take to it it is very CITV yeah <laughs> yeah they have the money I'd love to see the film of this but I want that film to have been made in about 1991 yeah sort of time be a little bit ropey but yeah. be of the time when cyberspace was the threat du jour news news and it's a good one oh it's a good one the first news is that there's a bunch of books coming out and hey. you know right first of all this was a genuine surprise to me the first announcement is that the first two martin adams novels from virgin books are coming out sonic the hedgehog and robotnik's laboratory and if you heard episode one you know we are all about <laughs> sonic the hedgehog in the fourth dimension uh now that the thing the reason i'm surprised is my memory and obviously yep. it's an incorrect memory my yep. memory was that i got sonic the hedgehog in the fourth dimension at a primary school book fair in p7 so that would have been early in 1993 before i read sonic the comic which i got in the summer when i moved from primary school to big school Chris. This is something I'm very concerned about because I have been collating as part of a separate project Sonic-based memories from my childhood and, and one of them was a quite elaborate story that completely hinged on the fact that I had the first Sonic game book before this comic began. And I apparently didn't yeah, because right. they advertise in this comic that that book is coming out. And like... So What's going on? So we both remember having these books before this comic. I'm 100% sure that I got it in a book fair. Perhaps it sure. was a big school book fair. Yeah. Uh, I, it's just my memory said that it was a primary school book fair. Oh, actually, I get the sense they're out now. Um, yes. With two more coming in November and January. So they're well, probably that's what, what I find quite interesting is it says, followed by two more Sonic novels in November and January. Yeah. Which, yeah. it seems weird to have two books come out yes. in October... And then one in November, and then one in January. That is weird. I get the sense these books had already been out for a little bit. Do you reckon? And they just hadn't got round to reporting it. Perhaps. And the other books they announce here is an official Sega Mega Drive Power Tips book two, and Mean Machines: The Essential Sega Guide. So it's guidebooks with uh, with tips and cheats and maps and that. I think you'll find it's actually called Mean Machines: The Essential. Sega guy. Oh, <laughs> I beg your pardon. Yes, <laughs> where's that? They've typoed. Oh yes. Oh, Essential. <laughs> Modestly describing itself as the Bible for Mega Drive, Mega CD, Master System, and Game Gear owners. Twelve ninety nine. Yeah. Oof. Pricing. Bye, then. I do recognize. I didn't. I, I never condescended to buy any such thing. Like, the, of course not. No, I wasn't interested in this kind of affair, especially because to buy a book that like you're only you're going to need what two pages of the entire Couple book. Pages out of it. Exactly. <laughs> Unless you're Mr. Moneybags. You looked at him in the shops. Yeah. You looked him up in the shops if you wanted cheese. But I do recognise the cover of this one, and I wonder if it's... Yeah, I, no, I recognise it too. I'm sure it's from yeah. looking at it in the shop. <laughs> Probably for me it's looking at it on this page, because this is a page I will have looked at a few times. Yes, because of this story just over to the right. Oh, I've been looking forward to digging into this. <laughs> oh, here it is. Sonic the TV star. We're going to go into greater depth on this later, 
because, well, you'll see. But this is the first time it was announced to at least me, personally, yep, see him. that there was going to be a Sonic the Hedgehog cartoon series. Because it's the very next week, mm. just one week after this issue came out, that the adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog oh. kicked off on Sunday mornings on Channel 4. In which case, I suppose then, I had already seen the adverts for it on TV. I, I remember mm. an advert, which weirdly used to play in the middle of the day on weekdays. And the only reason I know this is that I used to spend my dinner hour hanging around in a classroom at school because it was better there to draw comics the alternative was playing football outside and new mm-hmm. and um and they he had a tv on this tv he had very strict rules by the way this teacher was great and he had very strict rules <laughs> the tv must be set to either off or Sesame Street, and there is no other alternative. <laughs> and he did this because he was aware that the the Neighbours rerun came on, or Home and Away, one of them, came on during dinner hour, and there, there, were, there were roving bands of girls who were wont to come in and switch it over to that. So, no, that was not allowed. And so, of course, we had Sesame Street, which was Channel 4. Yes. And so I saw an advert for this and Saved by the Bell and a couple of other things. Okay. I remember the screen dividing into four, and there being this footage. And the Sonic footage, I've seen somewhere else but only once and it was like this really well or better anyway animated sequence Mm, of like sonic careful no but this is the thing it wasn't from adventures of sonic the hedgehog it was some kind of promo thing where he's mucking about i think he's got a log maybe going down a river and he saws it up in some way and then does a pose to the camera and it was just it's quite well done and so i've always assumed that that was footage from the you know the unaired pilot but it doesn't seem to be you can see that on youtube it's not in there no i don't remember any ads i think i was alerted to it by this yeah. Now, of course, what we're presented with here is a bit of a jumble. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because we have two pieces of pre-production artwork from very early in Deke's development of the cartoons. Of a different um, cartoon. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's we don't still really, to this day, really know what the deal was with the, no. the Deke cartoon. Because they're both by Deke, yeah. but they developed like a 65-episode show that would be shown in like stripped weekday syndication. Yeah. The Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog was a slapstick Looney Tunes cartoon show. And they developed the weekend show. We call it Sat AM because it was shown on Saturday mornings once a week, 13 episodes. So they both ran for one television season, 13 weeks. Although, to be clear, listeners, it wasn't shown on Saturday mornings here. So we've had to consent to accept your term for it. (laughs) And that was the... I... Sorry. Just suppress my desire to... It's right. Americans call it the... Darker and more serious one. <laughs> oh God! Yeah, it was the it was the action adventure. Show. It was the one where they copied Star Wars. It was the one that that the Archie comics. Well, at the at the very start, the Archie comics were kind of like a fusion of the two. It was the cast and premise of the of the Sat AM show of the action adventure show, but with the slapstick sense of humor of adventures. And it was adventures that was going to be aired in the UK. But they they've got this picture from somewhere very early in the development, perhaps whenever the two were one idea or Maybe. whatever we don't know but whenever the show was going to feature the cast of animal friends from the games under the names that sega had given them sally acorn porker lewis johnny lightfoot tux chirps etc um with some extreme 90s uh, redesigns oh. leather jackets sunglasses etc and this is a we have one picture of this by the way at the top yes of freedom TV. yes th- and this is this is the picture that we see but set right next to that is the picture of the adventures of sonic the hedgehog robotnik design 
Yes, that did a number on me. So yeah. we've got the drawing, a ubiquitous drawing at the time, of him sort of leaning back and pointing and gurning. Pointing. It might have been the one they used on the cover <laughs> of Mean Bean Machine, although I can't remember now. It's very yeah. like it. Yeah. And it says, TV's new look, Robotnik, a change for the better, question mark. And I remember this sinking in so deeply into my psyche because everything about this is wrong. Yep. Everything is different. His moustache is a different shape. You know, his head is a different shape. His clothes are designed differently in many different ways. Um, it's really cool. I, I, I love the adventures design of Robotnik, and I'm certainly not dissing it for a moment, but it's totally different. But I was under the impression, either from this picture or maybe from next week when we are introduced to the concept of having yet another different drawing of Robotnik, that Robotnik was essentially a sort of a... It, almost a public domain character and you were allowed to just draw him however you wanted <laughs> and i did i came up with my robotnik and so did abby as some version of this concept must have uh, must have hit both of us mine was a similar idea to this so it was just like another man with a mustache uh, Abby's was a far more interesting affair that was a kind of a cyborg tiger. <laughs> right. <laughs> what they describe here is following events similar to those seen in STC, though in no way connected with this comic, the storyline has Sonic with a price on his head and on the run from Robotnik's elite super special Sonic search and smash squad, which makes it sound like... But basically, it doesn't give any hint of the goofy comedy that it'll no. actually turn out that it is. No. And that's basically only the plot of the first episode. That's yeah. It's no, not the plot never, of the show. After that episode, they're never called that again. They're just scratching ground. Nah, I feel like it maybe comes up, but it's. I don't not. think it does. I really don't think it does. It might, but I don't think it does. I mean, and it makes sense, doesn't it, that they've been given a demo tape with one episode on it, and they've watched that, yeah. and that's all they know. And that's the episode. They yeah. probably not even watched that. They've probably you know put the first five minutes on, and then gone. All right, I get it. Which might explain why they think that the other two images are from it, even yes. though they're not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because the other image is another piece of promotional artwork, essentially, of of just Sonic standing there. Yeah, but that logo is the logo from Satayem, isn't it? Or at least a version. Of I the think logo it's like a yeah, Satayem. it's like a version. Of it, logo, it? Yeah. But it's definitely not the logo from Adventures. No. Of. God, I was brutally disappointed when this show appeared on uh, TV. Were you? I, I wasn't. I was very excited. <laughs> well, obviously, I was excited, and then I watched it. <laughs> no, it got me. I was fine, and I kept watching it because I told myself that yeah. I liked it. But I knew deep inside it was all wrong. Sonic wasn't a, a Looney Tunes goofy slapstick <laughs> moralizer at the end. You know, I mean, setting nostalgia aside, yeah. it's not the Sonic that no. was marketed to us in the UK. No, it's, it is completely that's, different. That's just where it came down. It's like we said in the first episode, it was our aberration. Everything else agreed on what Sonic yeah. is and was and what his story was and what his world was. And this was the little aberration on Saturday mornings on Channel 4 that didn't fit with anything. no. no. Um, I don't know why I was so... Well, you're a big cartoonist, Steve. Like, so maybe it was the whole squash and stretch attitude. Could have been, maybe. Because I just loved it. It's when the talking hot dog people turned up. I think that was when I was like, right, I'll do. <laughs> it was just... It was whatever. You know, yeah. it wasn't even... The, it was set on Mobius and everything, but it didn't look like the games or the comics or anything. Even Not even the Archie comics. It wasn't a world of talking animals. It was no. a world of wacky, vaguely... You know that vaguely off-putting type of cartoon you got in the 90s? Yeah. It wasn't by Spumco or Klasky Supo, <laughs> but it was like a sort of weird kind of creepy critters that they would have made. No, you're right there. It was Deke doing an impression of, you know, the new adventures of Mighty Mouse or something, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Mighty Mouse, that was Spumco, wasn't it? I think or was so, that yeah. Klasky Supo? Yeah. Or both or something, yeah. And so we find out from this article exactly when it started, if you were wondering. In the UK, it kicks off, the adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog kicks off on Channel 4, Sunday, the 7th of November at 9.30am. Miss it not. Don't you worry. I miss it I didn't. <laughs> oh, yes, you did. 
Did I? Because it didn't. It didn't start at half nine. It started at nine. They got it wrong. Oh, oh my god! Well, luckily <laughs> I happened to be there then. That oh, see him, see him. How do you, is that? A, is that a sore wound? Do you just remember that, or did you have to look it up? Uh, no, there's a letter in a couple of issues time where someone <laughs> complains, and I remember the letter. Oh. <laughs> it is quite remarkable that the official propaganda source for all <laughs> Sega-related things in the UK yeah. manages to do a news piece only a week before it's due to air. <laughs> yeah, shows three pictures, two of which are oh, not from the show in question. <laughs> And they get the time wrong. I didn't add it all up, you're right. <laughs> oh, that was the shonky charm of Sonic the Comic, wasn't it? <laughs> like, well, check out this next one over on the next page. They tell us that this year's uh, future entertainment show is coming in November, which is another one of those industry shows where yeah. you can go and see video games and hear the new announcement and things. And they've got 20 pairs of tickets to give away, hey. but you have to get your entries in <laughs> six days yeah. after the publication of this issue is when you're stamped I mean, now, to be fair to them, because the window is so tight, it's literally first 20 people who are pulled out of the mailbag will win. They don't have to answer a question. They don't have to send any tokens or anything. Just send a a stamped self-addressed envelope and you've got them. But six days. Yeah, the way it's written, it's incredibly clear that this is an emergency. Yeah. We have bollocksed (laughs) this. They have been handed a last-minute thing here. It's, it literally it says, Rush, rush, rush. The organisers of the Future Entertainment Show, generous souls they are, have given STC 20 pairs of tickets to the show, which we want to give to you for free. Only problem is there's not much time. The show opens on Thursday, the 11th of November, so it's first come, first served. <laughs> Act now, or it may be too late. So you could have bought this comic in the week of publication yeah. and be too late to enter. Yeah. If yeah. you bought it on the Wednesday or the Thursday, yeah. you're screwed. And it's a two-week publication anyway. Yeah. So if you bought it in week two, yeah, Oh, oh yeah, so actually, yeah, if you you bought it the following Saturday because yeah. I mean I imagine Saturday is the most likely day to get bought with your pocket money yeah. but yeah, yeah you could have been a week later with it so moving on then um, Elephant of Steel this is the announcement CJ what's the game actually called here CJ, CJ Elephant Fugitive yeah what a name and it's just a platformer about an elephant hopping around <laughs> more elephant themed platformers this issue <laughs> this is a re-release of CJ's Elephant Antics which is a C64 game from 1991 Really? Oh, okay. Yeah, made by the Dizzy people. Oh, all right. Oh, so it is. I didn't make Codemasters just right there. Yeah. Yes, not the Oliver Twins, but Big Red Software, who made the later, more polished Dizzies. So, yeah, this is a game that I had really, really advertised to me on the Spectrum. And yeah. Now, here it is on the Game Gear. So, all right, cool, fine. I looked it up. It looks like a game at the end. It says it was going to come out for the Master System, but I read that the Master System version never came out. Oh, We've got a page of adverts, fellas. Ooh, what's on the ads, Dave? Oh, well, there is a full page advertisement. Not much to look at. Look if I show you this. It's an advert for 1994 calendars. Oh, God, it doesn't even have the decency to be in colour. It's not in colour. It's obviously, yeah, dropped in by some random company. And, Uh I mean, I almost... If this was now, I would assume these calendars were being made by algorithm. Because there's a (laughs) giant... It's over 50 calendars to choose from. There's a massive list of different things you can get a calendar of. What was hot in 1993, then? Well, quite. G- guess there's gotta be a take that one yeah there's pop ones there's, sorry music ones generally there's film ones that's it actually that's the two things Jurassic Park there's no Jurassic Park one oh, it's right. individual people oh right so there'll be a Sam Needle one then. <laughs> <laughs> 
There isn't a Sam Neill one, no. It's people who are going to be eminently more photogenic. Oh, okay. And the thing is, the pictures of the calendars are literally just like the name of the person written at an angle and a photo of the person <laughs> cut out. It's like they really could be generated by a machine. So so this is like those adverts you get on Facebook for merchandise where it picks yeah. up where you live and yeah. then it shows you a t-shirt with I'm the best whatever in yeah. wherever I live, you know. <laughs> Each calendar is shrink-wrapped and makes a superb gift. It will brighten up any room or office. In the shop, you might pay as much as £7, but from us, each calendar costs only £5, plus postage and packaging. Uh, and nice. I, I assumed that that meant it would be £7 altogether, but no, to be fair to them, it's £5.75. God, posts were cheap back then. Here are the calendars that are pictured. I won't read Hit you the me. full list, because we'll be here all night. Madonna. Oh, yeah, okay, okay. New Kids on the Block. Of course. Take that. Yes. Dire Straits. Okay. <laughs> Couldn't pick them out of a lineup. Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise, naturally. You two, Michael J. Fox, Patrick Swayze, Michael Jackson, Luke Perry, Kevin Costner, Jason Priestley, <laughs> Depeche Mode, Sharon Stone, George Michael. I was hoping for a hilarious punchline where it turned out that there was one of like... I thought you were building up to one that was really good when you said that. <laughs> There's one that's alright. Any of you a fan of Claude? Claude. You remember Claude? He was very famous. If you say so. Claude Van Damme. <laughs> there he is, Claude Van Damme. There but uh, no, I was I was reading it to you because I just like this methods of payment. Put a fiver in an envelope. That's what they're asking yeah. for. Oh, remember it? <laughs> yeah. You can send a five pound note per calendar. Postage is free if you pay this way, or twenty unused first class stamps per calendar. <laughs> well, they needed the wow. stamps to post the calendars back out. So they are legal tender. Postage is free if you pay that way. Or a cheque, or postal order, sorry, no credit cards. Then on the next page, we've got an advert for the Cosmic Mega Shop, who are selling the Essential Game Gear Carry Case. This is a quite robust plastic case. It looks a bit much, doesn't case. it? Case, yeah, it's, it's got all rivet-looking bits all over it. It says Sega, you know, riveted into it. And there's a picture of your Game Gear and cartridges and, and plug and various stuff inside. And then, just if you want uh, another idea... They've also shown what it might be like to take it to school. There's a packet of McCoys in there. <laughs> and an apple and a box of Aero drink. And some pens and pencils. And a Sonic notebook. Hey. <laughs> this is interesting because it's only $9.99. And if you send off for this thing, not only will you have like a really super good lunchbox, but you get one of these pins. Look at that! Oh yeah, oh, those are oh, actually the really nice. Ones Look at that excellent. one. I like that one. Some really good pins. There's one that's the Sonic 2 logo. Not with the Sonic and Tails. Just Sonic and then the 2 behind it. One that's the Sega logo and one that's Robotnik going like, Arr! that's a really good one. And then at the bottom of the page, another Sabutio advert. This time with a quote from Graham Taylor who says, well, I think Arsenal will either... I'm, I said I started as if I know what Graham Taylor's voice is like. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> Northern. I don't. Northern. Okay, right. Go for it. Right. Northern then. Right. So here's the quote then. Well, I think Arsenal will either win or lose the championship this year. And that's it. That's, that's I like just... seeing that because those adverts were always in Roy the Rovers, so it's weird mm. seeing it in Sonic the Comic. I'm delighted to... And I was a big Sabutio fan as a kid as well, so... I'm... Not surprised. <laughs> I do remember those ads quite well. They were little half-page ads where it was like yeah. a something dumb some footballman yeah. had said. <laughs> and that was how they sold Sabutio. I mean, presumably they just cracked open a couple of Coleman balls and just <laughs> whatever their finger landed on on the first Pretty page much, that opened. Yeah. <laughs> Streets of Rage. 
Streets of Rage Part 6, written by Mark Miller, art by Peter Richardson, letters by Tom Frame. Max and Hawk battle in the heart of the burning industrial plant, with Blaze and Axel outside unable to help. Hawk takes the upper hand, but it doesn't last. With a well-aimed kick, Max sends the crime boss to a fiery end in a vat of molten metal, then escapes to reunite with Blaze and Axel. Axel quits the police force by decking the captain and joins his friends as, undissuaded by the night's events, they resolve to continue bringing justice to the streets. Oh, it's the Mark Milleriest. Sam, please tell us about your memories of Streets of Rage. Yes. I, well, it's funny that obviously discovering later in life that Streets of Rage was by Mark Miller. Right. Because, you know, oh. it is one of the strips that I remember the most from the comic at the time. And it is one where you've got what are fantastic games, and then you've got a comic strip that isn't about what happens in the games, but is doing a prequel to the games. Mm. And doing it really, really well. So I remember really enjoying it for that. And obviously as well, just enjoying it as a you know, 10-year-old because it's actually quite violent and grisly, yeah. <laughs> which you, know, you wouldn't expect to see. Especially and then, this yeah, one. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, that panel, that panel of the death of Hawk, uh, that's one of those where, going back and rereading it, I vividly remember that from originally yeah. reading it the first time. And then, yeah, just the, you know, the fact that it's Mark Miller, because, yeah, it's uh, notwithstanding the fact that, again, it doesn't have anybody saying, what are you talking about? <laughs> and it doesn't have anything really ghastly and offensive that kind of makes you go, oh, really? <laughs> but apart from that, it is incredibly Mark Miller. And I, I actually think this series, if you consider it, successfully doing what it's setting out to do mm. i'm not sure mark miller has actually been as successful <laughs> creatively <laughs> as this and I've, I've read i've enjoyed a lot of mark miller comics and yes. i've read other mark miller comics that have made me roll my eyes heavily yes. and there are some that i've enjoyed at the time like ultimates uh-huh. and then you go back to them now and oh, actually they God, you... cringe in some ways you're a little bit. speaking my language yeah um and so you know he's never someone who i'll just say he's a bad writer but no. i think he's a writer who well yeah there's lots and lots you can, you can yeah, say about mark miller and he has done some appalling comics this isn't. This is good. This does exactly what it's supposed to do. It does it well. It's fun. The dialogue isn't too irritating. Because, again, there's another thing that Miller has, and I don't think he has the room to do it here, which oh. is really, really long dialogue bubbles. Like, people oh. will say multi... And it's like it doesn't feel like it's a deliberate stylistic thing, like a Brian Michael Bendis, where he's mm-hmm. deliberately having lots and lots of back and forth. Yeah. Um, or a Kevin Smith thing, where it's like, my characters are going to be really verbose. Yeah, it's just where characters say just a bit too much. Yeah. Yeah, there'll often be an and. Yeah, they'll yeah, say yeah, yeah. one clause and then they'll say an and and then they'll carry on. It just feels really unnatural. I always remember the Ultimates had a terrible tendency to do that. Someone would say something, something, something. Clever nickname. Something, yeah. something, something, something. <laughs> second clever nickname. Yeah, and I was like, <laughs> one clever nickname is enough. It was really o- over. It's a weird. You wouldn't typically describe a Mark Miller comic as overwritten. But that's, you know, <laughs> but no, that's how were, yeah. I would describe that dialogue. In Superman Red Sun, look at the way Lex Luthor talks in that, and almost mm. every time Lex Luthor speaks, he's doing that to a joined bubbles thing. But in this, like, I, I actually think Mark Miller benefits from, well, probably A, he's young and he's early in his career, yeah. and I think he hasn't had the chance to develop his supreme overconfidence in his own ability. And also, he's working under constraints here. He's having to work in a small space. There are certain limitations, you know, there are content limitations in terms of this is being written for eight to ten-year-old kids, so he really can't just cut loose and even then he's really pushing it yeah he is Mm. but like i mean i I haven't read his stuff that he did he wrote a load of superman adventures stuff which was all ages superman stuff that is Mm. apparently some of the best stuff he's ever done because again he can't actually 
cut yeah. as loose as he would want. Uh, but yeah, this is this is just really enjoyable. And so, you know, the picture that I have of the Streets of Rage characters and of liking the Streets of Rage characters, I mean, it doesn't come from the games because as good as the games are, they don't have personalities in those mm-hmm. games. Yeah, yeah. But I remember playing the Streets of Rage games and grafting onto the characters in my head the personalities they had from this comic strip. I just think, mm. I think this is really, really good. Punching the boss to resign. It's such yes. a massive cliche, but this audience don't know that it's <laughs> a cliche. Yeah. So yeah. it's doing it sincerely, but in the knowledge that this audience won't know how played yeah. out a trope it is. Yeah. And that's fine. And what I loved about that moment in particular, since we're on it, is that it's not just how he quits the force. It's also how he avoids prosecution. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like the guy has just said, you broke the law, you're in big trouble, and he just punches him in the face, and that's how they get away with it. It's fine now. Well, I mean, no, Max and Blaze are under arrest, and Axel's just going to be, you know, called up to a disciplinary committee. (laughs) He's actually making it worse for himself by quitting. (laughs) You know, we talked about the constraints that Miller's working under. Page three. I genuinely can't make heads or tails of it. <laughs> the ceiling! Missed us. Like, there's a panel where the ceiling starts to collapse. Oh, but yeah. then in the next panel, nothing has happened. And Hawks just says, missed us. <laughs> and then in the next panel... <laughs> suddenly, there's a rock on top of Max that is not there in the second panel. Now, I don't know if that was supposed to fall on him in the collapse of the ceiling. Probably. But, I mean, a ceiling isn't made of rock. Well, yeah. No. <laughs> and I loved... It really made me laugh that not only is, is there a rock now, but he's like... Oh, if I could just shift this rock, I can get on with the comic. It's like, yeah, well. because you'd think maybe he'd throw the rock at him, but he doesn't. The rock has suddenly appeared for one panel on him, just to slow Max down a bit <laughs> before he... It's like the rock is the reason he can't immediately kick Hawk off into the thing. But I think I know why this has happened. Do you remember how last issue there was that big hanging weight... And we weren't sure if it was like a magnet that sucks up cars. And if it is, why is it in this factory that doesn't (laughs) do that? And so, honestly, genuinely, I think Mark Miller is channeling an 11-year-old. And he is writing with his eyes closed. And he's just going, (laughs) they're on the conveyor belt going towards the thing. And there's lava. And and I I would love to read the script for this. Because I reckon, I bet the script for this says lava at some point. (laughs) And you're on a conveyor belt, and you go toward yeah. the lava, and there's a walk, and you got a stick <laughs> and a pipe. But in the work and he kicked a man in the lava. I mean, it's Axe Cop, isn't it? This is written moment to moment by an excited boy. And, like, what that turns out to produce is, like, the, the platonic ideal of a Streets of Rage comic. I mean, that's not what the serial has been like. It's just this one random moment where, like, I genuinely yeah. think that the rock that he he calls it a rock but i think it's supposed to be a piece of masonry that has come down in the ceiling collapse but the the visual storytelling is not there but like that's the sole complaint that i have exactly even though that's a complaint like the rest of the art is wicked oh yeah i mean even this art is good it's just that one thing doesn't make sense but like page one the extreme perspective shift of the bad guy with his big stick that he's kind of clanging down around well mm. sorry he's krunging down around uh max tries to stab him with a- i read that as krungo at first which was much better than when i noticed that was a second g <laughs> Um, it's doing lots of great stuff with the panels, like people breaking mm, out of panels, mm, panels mm. coming in at angles, and you know everything feeling like it's jumping out of the page and getting thrown around the place. Yeah, and then the two big moments. 
Second best is that, you know, punch the cop moment, which is really, yeah. really dynamically drawn. But of course, the first best is the bad guy melting into the lava. Yeah, um, that's, yeah. that's grim. <laughs> the slag pit. Yeah. Max kicks him off and he goes in the whatever it is. And he starts, and this is Terminator, isn't it? And he starts yeah. to sink down. But it's not that he goes into this, quote-unquote, lava. It's that the colouring changes to make it a really hellish interpretation of yeah. that idea. This is someone who, presumably, I like to think that if you fell into lava or molten metal in real life, you'd just switch off very, very quickly yeah. out of yeah. shock. Yeah. But I this mean, is the version of that where... He's melting <laughs> under the surface. all the way down. Yeah. There's fire coming out. Well, there's not, but like his eyes and mouth are colored like a deep visceral pink in a way that matches the panel around him. So it's like he's on fire from the inside. His jaw is open and going down under the surface, but there's no clear delineation between him and it. So it's like they're becoming one. <laughs> and there's a deep shadow covering the top of his head. So it's like yeah. darkness above, light from below. It's like he's a man on fire. It's amazing. And let's, for the people who are not, aren't looking at it at home as well, this is just one comparatively small panel in the corner of yeah. the comic where if there was more room to play with, you know, they'd, they'd have given more space over to this. But there's something yeah. about the way it is constrained down into that and that I don't it really sells the moment somehow. Mm. I don't know what it is. I, no, it's, yeah. Yeah. It, it feels like a big, even though it is, it's the bottom left corner of the page, but it reads like a full page splash. There's mm. something wild about it. Almost it almost feels like a, they wouldn't have been allowed to get away with it if yes. it was half a page or a page. <laughs> yeah. but you can just get away with something that violent by just squeezing it into the bottom corner of the page. And that's the feel of the whole strip. By squeezing it into the latter half of this comic, it, This, I'm not suggesting this is the case. I know it's not. But it felt like editorial weren't reading this and he was just getting away with it. Well, yeah, that hmm. just defines the experience of the Streets of Rage strip. Yeah. You had that sense of... Is it, is it okay if I read this? Is this, is this, am I, am I getting, you felt like you were getting away with something when you read Streets of Rage. It felt like, you know, sneaking downstairs to watch an 80s action movie late night on television or something. That That's the kind of experience yeah. the Streets of Rage strip was. And it knew that that's what it was. Yeah. And here's a little pocket of that feeling in Sonic the Comic. Of all places. Yeah. <laughs> because it was a grab bag of different feelings. Every bit of Sonic the Comic felt different, and that was the key. He served up a proper rubbish Sonic strip this issue, but Mark Miller was firing <laughs> on all cylinders with Streets of Rage. You could definitely tell which he cared about. Yeah. <laughs> you can chart the career of Mark Miller from Sonic the Comic. It is fascinating. Just a Just a Ahoy me hearties! You could win one of thousands of prizes in the Trio Treasure Hunt! <gasps> oh my god, I remember the Trio Treasure Hunt! Oh my god! When you said ahoy me hearties, I thought it was going to be Captain Bird's Eye or something. There's instant win prizes plus a free draw every month. And a, so trio. Tell the listeners what was a trio, you fellas. Trio? Because I was allergic to chocolate and therefore what? had never eaten one at the time. Oh, tragic. I, I can't remember how the jingle goes, sadly. Can you? Trio! Thank you. Well, I remember that bit, but the rest <laughs> of it. Trio! We got any more? Anybody? I think Seb? it's like, no? I want a trio and I want I one want now a trio and I want yeah. one now. I remember that jingle, but I don't remember it being for trio. I, I didn't know that oh. was what it was for. What did you think? <laughs> Were you like, something? 
sort of um thing. <laughs> I want something and I want one now. <laughs> not one, not two, but three things in it. Chocolate biscuit and a toffee filling. Trio. <laughs> Trio! What was that the jingle for? <laughs> I knew there was a jingle to the tune of that. I just didn't know what the... This body form song is very catchy, but what's it an advert for? <laughs> well, there's a picture of a trio... Oh, wait! You've got to tell them what a trio was. It was a biscuit, Boomers. It was a chocolate biscuit. There's a, there's a picture of a trio-branded T-shirt, cap, and watch. And you get a free prize comic. It says here inside every special six-pack and multi-bag. Toffee flavour topping, crunchy biscuit, and real milk chocolate. Incredibly trebly tasty. Or what? I remember um, Trios had something inside the wrapper and you could rub it with a coin and it would reveal hidden pictures. Was that oh, that? Was that Trio? Q-Zone. is another Q&A special. This time, um, nothing really jumped out at me about this one. People asking questions about Echo the Dolphin, Revenge of Shinobi, X-Men, Fatal Fury, Smash TV, Rollo to the rescue. As somebody who owned columns for the Game Gear... Uh, because the game gear came with columns, I am amused to discover that there are no cheats. <laughs> no cheats, no tips, nothing. The only tip for columns is to get a slightly different ending by doing something different in the flash mode. And that's it. I do wonder what the different ending was, because it's columns, you know? Like, yeah. there's no ending. I think that there's this one for X-Men here, because back oh, in yeah. issue 5, they gave the tip for how to get the level select on X-Men, and uh, Andrew Daly from Eccles in Manchester uh, can't do it. And uh, Dave Gibbon replies, How sad, Andrew. I'm sorry you couldn't find the access panel, but your wish is my command. For you and everyone else, I shall repeat the cheat. And he repeats the cheat again which is another one of those joypad swapping cheats and then it says see screenshot for the access panel <laughs> and ah. that's not a very bloody helpful screenshot well there are two screenshots uh, yeah which one is it because there's it not mean? really anything that looks like an access panel in either of them yeah. I, yeah i can't recognize anything in these panels that would seem to pertain to this yeah I get a load of this one underneath it. Fatal Fury. My favourite game on the Mega Drive is Fatal Fury. Can you give me a cheat for Infinite Continues, please? Mmm, let me see. You're looking for a cheat for this rather average beat-em-up. Ah, <laughs> here's one. Yeah. What's with the colour commentary, David? <laughs> also, Fatal Fury's quite good. Just give the lad the cheat, Jesus. So judgy. He's got two pages to fill up. He's got to come up with something. <laughs> Well, maybe you could have printed a clearer screenshot. Echo the Dolphin, please could you give me advice on how to destroy the skull on the Welcome to the Machine level of Echo the Dolphin as I cannot get any further. And it is, of course, the next line that is the reason I'm reading this. Mrs. Nikki Outram, age 22, from Rochdale, Lancashire. 22, of course, would have read to my eyes at that age as equivalent to 67. Yeah, yeah. obviously, yes. Whereas now I'm like, wow, married at 22. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I can't get very far with Smash TV on the Mega Drive. Can you please give me a level select as I'm desperate? Calm down, David. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to ha hear you're having trouble, Ashley. Still playing that old game, eh, Amy? <laughs> drop the tune, Dave Gibbon. No, don't drop it. Increase it. I want nothing but sass from now on. <laughs> I wonder if he's trying to do a games master here because, mm. you know, he had a sort of tone. Yes, like yes, Still playing that old game, eh? Yeah, exactly. I do wonder why they printed this columns one because the question is, can you give me a cheat? And the answer is no. no. <laughs> but they printed it. And to be fair, like I say, I think it's quite useful to know that there isn't one. Yes, yeah. yes. Maybe they just didn't have enough cues. Decap attack. Yay! Yay! Decap attack! Decap attack! 
starring Chuck D. Head, part three. Written and drawn by Nigel Kitching, with letters by Steve Potter. Chuck survives his fall off the castle thanks to the fact that he's been equipped with three hearts, only two of which are now working. Chuck and Head venture back inside the castle to rescue Frankenstein from Max D. Cap, but soon run into a vampire lurking about in the castle's crypt, who decides to make a meal of Chuck. Fortunately for our heroes, Chuck's blood proves unpalatable and kills the vampire stone dead. And uh, in a comic that has Mark Miller's Streets of Rage in it and a man burning in lava, it's this comic that has the least family-friendly image in the issue. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right? <laughs> I was wondering if we were going to get into that. <laughs> Look, straight off, I mean, it's difficult to cover Decap Attack on this podcast yeah. because... It's Essentially, just we jokes. just have to read out the jokes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but they're good! Like, yeah. straight away, you get this drawing of a man. <laughs> and the prof saying, like, who is that? And Igor says, looks like Lloyd Grossman to me. And then the caption says, doesn't look much like him to me. Because <laughs> um, it doesn't. Lloyd Grossman. Uh, what shall we say? Then the host of Through the Keyhole. And this mm. is a joke about that. The catchphrase was, so who would live in a house like, like this? this? That's what he would say. That's what they're very specifically yeah. referencing there. And if he hadn't said it in this, it would have been deranged. Yeah. Absolutely. But he does. He says, who would live in a castle like this? I like the thing about the hearts, you know? Yeah, that's fun. Yeah. There's three hearts. Presumably this is what you have in the game. You have three hearts. And in this, he literally has three hearts. And one of them has stopped working now. <laughs> they are played as lives here. So Chuck has yeah. three lives. It's a weirdly... um video game-ish thing in a strip that's otherwise not at all concerned with being video gamey, but uh, right, yeah. it gets to have a bit of fun with the view of the Frankenstein cut. They're able to make it work. Yeah. And then they find the vampire who is a skeleton yeah. in a what appears to be a leather jacket in a coffin with a stake sticking out of his ribcage. It's been staked. It's, it's dead. And with a badge that's got a V on it. It's just in case you hadn't figured it out yet. Stupid place to leave a stake. You have somebody's eye out with that. And then Chuck just pulls the stake out and the vampire comes back to life. And then he bites him. Well, he goes to bite him, but it turns out there's no neck. You know, he lifts his head right that's off. That's a of great Chuck's... little gag, isn't, isn't it? it? That's... There's Nigel. He's doing one about a vampire, and he's figured out that you need a neck for that, and this is a character without a neck. I don't know. I just like this. It seems like an obvious connection, but I feel like I wouldn't have been clever enough to make it. <laughs> no neck, but vampires always suck blood from the neck. It's traditional. Oh, I've got a neck, all right. Whap! And then, yeah, his head shoots out of his body on its long, extended, veiny neck. Oh, it's and... sinewy. Tumescent neck. It doesn't look like a neck. And it doesn't look like a neck. This time round, it, it looks like something else. Hand on heart, I've never thought of this before. I, I, I completely agree. It never occurred to me till you posted that picture on Twitter. But I wonder. I wonder. Yeah, no. How I, much fun Nigel was having all along with it. All yeah. those years we read this comic. I don't think it would ever look quite so suggestive mm. again. I'm picking my words carefully. Yeah. <laughs> And then Head just uh, has a blank speech bubble that has nothing but an asterisk in it. As the oh, vampire sinks his fangs into Chuck's neck, it's just uh, there's Head says nothing, and the footnote says, the very old joke about how some people can be a pain in the neck has been removed in the interests of good taste. Megadroid. <laughs> there's like three separate footnotes from Megadroid sassing the comic. <laughs> Do you reckon that these were written by Kitching, or yes. that these were written yes. by the editor as a kind of additional layer of joke on top no, of No, I, I 
definitely think these were Nigel. It, yeah. It just, I don't know. It feels like him to me. Because I, I do like the idea of them having their own <laughs> little fun back and forth via the medium of this. It's fun to imagine. In that sense, it doesn't matter if they were or not, because yeah. as a kid, yes. you had the sense that Megadroid, the guy in charge yes. who existed outside the world of the strip, was just not impressed. And regardless yeah. of whether it was really the writer and editor or not, as a kid, you believed it was. Yeah, Megadroid really does have a presence in this comic. And that does mean that the editor is in on the joke and is reading these comics. Because there are publications where they'll just buy something and throw it in and it's like, you know, they'll yeah. look over it and make sure that it's that there aren't any drawings like there are on page four here and they'll throw it in the comic. Whereas in this case, <laughs> there is, and he put it in. <laughs> I think my favourite joke in this entire story is in the very, very bottom right-hand corner of the final uh, page. Yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> I never noticed that. It's a cardboard box. There's nothing in it. And it appears to be labelled or addressed to MT Box. <laughs> and that is the sort of thing I was talking about back in the first part when I compared this to Calamity James. Yes. From the Beano. Little labels on yeah. things in the background. Mm. And that that's very that. It's that kind of energy. Oh, well, here's somebody calling Megadroid out. Yeah. Why did you say in issue seven that there was the possibility of STC doing a Chuck Rock strip? This is impossible, impossible. because Chuck Rock is a game made by Virgin, and STC is a Sega comic. So there. <laughs> yeah. And it, well, William, although STC is an official Sega comic, the humans in charge are able to consider any characters that appear on Sega systems. So keep watching these pages. There are big surprises to come. Would you think it's worth being snarkily told off by Megadroid <laughs> in order to get a free Tommy Sonic oh, water sure. game? Yes. Oh, I thought you were just going to say in order to be printed in the comic, in which case the answer is still yes. Oh, yes and yes. Uh, and so that was William Evans of London, Mega Drive and Game Gear owner. Splashing times, dear STC, the first time I read STC was issue 7. I thought it was excellent, and I wondered if it would be possible to make a strip about Echo the Dolphin. Also, could you tell me if it is hard to make comics? Jonathan Heald leads. Megadroid replies, you and thousands of others, Jonathan, have all been asking for Echo. So stand by to see him surface in the next issue. To answer your last question, I'm sure the humes involved would have you believe that it's tough making comics, but they should try being a droid for a day. They'd really find out what real work is. <laughs> you notice these letters are both about issue seven as well, so that uh, again gives us a kind of time frame to look at here. This is about five give, issues. It kind of gives us a tom frame, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> There's two or three months. That's the kind of time frame you're talking about. God. Wow. So that's their buffer. I know it's weird, isn't it? It's weird. Whenever we record these episodes one week after the next, you do lose the sense of how much time was really passing when you were really reading them in the real yeah. world. Yeah. Used the word real a few many times there, but. Uh, <laughs> Never mind. Son of Old Fash. Woo! I knew, I knew, I knew. I remembered there was another letter that talked about Mr. Old Fash. Oh, Mr. Old Fash. Jonathan Hursthouse from Weymouth in Dorset. I will not bore you with I've been a reader since issue one because I haven't. Rather, I'm the brother of someone who's the real fan. Anyway, I have a theory as to who Mr. Old Fash from SDC number one is. Just a wizened old couch potato who eats both video games and comic strips. Mind you, I can see where he's coming from. No offence, but you're reviews are not as detailed as others and you have no previews at all uh well that's it actually please print this letter because i haven't been famous in my entire life <laughs> infamous would be more appropriate jonathan says megadroid are you sure you're not another human version of a wizened 
young couch potato. And then we've got a wonderful little slapstick note to end the letters page on. <laughs> the last letter simply says, and it's from Anthony Laven in Liverpool, and it says, <laughs> Sorry, I really like this one. Dear STC, I used to like the dandy until I saw STC in my newsagents. I thought it looked so brill that I read it all the way home. When I got there, I tripped over the dog and landed on the couch. <laughs> Good to know. Last thing to mention, by the way, is that we don't have any fan art this time, but we have Spot the Sega player. No, we got photos, yeah. And there's two photographs. One is of a dog in a Sonic t-shirt. Oh, and standing near the lovely Sonic organizer stroke file that, that I had and was a favourite of mine. But then next to it is a grinning boy who's carrying a Mega Drive, and it says one of these Sega players is Richard Clayton of Leicester, and the other is not. Spot the difference? Don't write in. Both boomers <laughs> win Sonic Water Fun games, but the hairy guy in the black t-shirt must send in his name, address, and paw print to claim the prize. <laughs> now the reason I bring this up is that look at Richard Clayton's Master System not a Mega Drive, beg pardon hey. it's a Master System and it sports the stickers that came free with STC Number issue one. one look at that! So finally we have an image of them. Mine are all over you know, long dead and thrown away furniture and uh, so here we have a look at them there's a running Sonic, there's a thing of just his feet with some kind of slogan written over them, there's an Echo one, Sonic doing the pointy cross-legged pose doing the pose. Yeah the, the one that appeared a couple of times in this issue. Yeah, yeah. Tails doing a sort of help me sort of shout and a, and a Sonic in a spin attack. And then some sort of slogan going into a star. I think it says Sega Superstar, something like that. So there you go. There, that's what some of the stickers were anyway. That's what they looked like. Yeah. There we go then. That's it, yeah. So uh, next issue is 13, your unlucky number. Not if you're reading Sonic the Comic. New Echo the Dolphin, the series you demanded. Do you think they really did Echo because they got a lot of letters? Because, no. well, enough time has passed since issue one. Yeah. That if they genuinely did get a big torrent of people asking for Echo strips, they could have commissioned it by this point. See, I agree with that as a concept, but if it... Oh, you just don't think people would have asked for Echo? No, it's not that. It's <laughs> it's if it had been, say, Decap Attack, something for which there was no other reason mm. to make a comic. Mm. But Echo was, you know... A prominent Sega game, wasn't it? Yes. They were they were promoting that. So it makes sense for them to do Echo. It's like, you know, it's like if a Mario comic did a Zelda mm. comic by popular demand. It's like, yeah, it makes oh, sense. Well, sure, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, do you think that they did it now as part of the third series of serials hmm. as the result of demand? Or, Possibly. I mean, it, yeah, like, you're right. It would have happened one way or the other. Yeah. But you look at some of the things they turned into strips and how long some of them would take to come along. You know, they didn't do a Sparkster strip for mm. a few years, you know, well after the first game had been out. I wonder. It'd be interesting to talk to some of the editors about this because what decision leads to the creation of you know the eternal champions comic is that popular demand or no no that was definitely they thought that was going to be their next hot shit yeah and, i mean it got a summer special that was calculated marketing that was mm. but i remember it being good so i'm looking forward to reading it again right. see how it turns out uh new story golden axe axe gilius and tyrus are back for a brand new adventure free gift get your fabulous stc belt clip free and get recognized wherever you go belt clip i know oh, i must find my belt clip i can't go out without my belt clip <laughs> Plus, Sonic Decap Attack, a mega new compo. Hey. Tons more. Sonic the Comic 13 on sale Saturday, November the 13th. How lucky can you get? Wow. Not that lucky, because the price was going up 15p, but they hadn't told us before right oh, now. Subtly snuck in, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't, there's no announcement. It just says £1.10. Nope. And if you go to the cover, this one costs 95p. 95p. And I remember thinking... Mm. 
foolishly, mm. foolishly like a child assuming that the price was only going up because of the gift. Oh. And I was like, it's not very free then, is it? They're charging me 15p for this belt clip. <laughs> Fool I! Oh, I didn't realize it was up for good. I mean, th there's nothing worse than when it's a pound yeah. and you could buy it mm. for a pound. Yeah. And now you had to break yeah. two pounds in order to get it. You couldn't. It wasn't. Yeah. If you yeah. if you got a pound pocket money, that's then, a lot yeah. of negotiating with a parent. That is. That represents a shift. Like you weren't just going to get ten p more. Mm. It's the whole next strata yeah. of child yeah. handling of currency. Yeah. <laughs> Do children today know what a pound coin is? You can't buy anything for a pound anymore. <laughs> Certainly not a comic. No. It'd be like if something went up from twenty nine pound to thirty two pound, and you couldn't tap for contactless anymore <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that's the exact equivalent of this wow i tried to pay for something that was 54 quid by tapping contactless today because i'd never buy anything that's more than 30 quid almost as a principle so there was just one thing i forgot to mention and there's no context in which to mention this there's no real thing to do with this i just feel like we need to point out that one of the first things that kid chameleon says this issue is Rad Skate Fury. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Kid Chameleon is the most 90s artifact, certainly in the pages of Sonic the Comic, possibly in any comic that Possibly. In the 90s. Is he inherently more 90s than Sonic? Yes, because he's got sunglasses on all the time. Well, that's true. Yeah, I mean, he's dressed like a cross between John Connor and the Terminator in Terminator 2. He's like both yeah. characters. Yeah, on. that's true. I never thought of that. I've always compared him to like a Michael J. Fox character. But uh, like, well, no, yeah, he's right. also with the skateboard. He's very with the skateboard, but yeah. yeah, so it's all here. Well, that brings us to the end of another issue of STC and the end of another episode of STC TP. <laughs> Sonic the Comic Toilet Paper <laughs> If for some reason You don't know where You got this podcast from And are wondering Where you can ever Find it again Why not have a look On iTunes Or If you don't like apples Then you can go to stctp.wigglehe One word Dot com Slightly weird address But there's a story Behind it Never mind <laughs> Uh, if you want to tweet about the show, you can use the hashtag STCTP because we will be looking out for it and we will be retweeting and replying. Uh, and also do leave us a review on iTunes if you're enjoying the show as well because it does help. Uh, and it genuinely does. While you're on social media, if you want to follow us, I am Chris McFeely on Twitter and on YouTube. And I am Demon Tomato Dave on those things as well. And if you like this but you want to hear me talk about Disney instead and animated films and stuff, then you might be interested in my other podcast, Serious Disney, which you can find also on iTunes or seriousdisney.wigglehe.com. I'm at Seb Patrick on Twitter, and yeah, if you want to hear me talk about comic book movies, cinematicuniverse.com, or other comics from the early 90s, but ones that are about football, uh, at, on a podcast at beyondthetouchline.co.uk. There's a lot of crossover with Sonic the Comic in the episode we just did about yeah. British football comics. <laughs> If you want to write to us at Speedlines, then we have an email address, which is stctpodcast at gmail.com. Our theme tune was synchronized by Sonic the Comic The Band, who you can find at sonicthecomic.bandcamp.com. But we have been Sonic the Comic The Podcast. And we will see you in two weeks' time. That's a fortnight, Americans. Americans.